Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I'm joined by a new member of the podcast. You've probably been wondering what the hell happened to the podcast because we've been gone for so long. Uh, but we were recruiting new talent, so uh, talent we have. Keaton DeRocher, welcome to the show, my friend. Happy to be here, man. This is I'm ready to go. This is going to be a blast. And it's opening day. It's like an opening day for the pod, opening day for baseball. Opening day Lots for Lots of you. brand news. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is uh, this is good stuff. Um, so yeah, as Keaton mentioned, it is opening day as we are recording this podcast, which is uh, you know one of the better days of the entire year. You get baseball back, you can talk about it again, uh, though we never really stop talking about baseball around here. Um, and uh, we're recording this pregame, so as you're listening to this, we have no clue what happened last night. Uh, we hope that it was good, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm sure it will be. Um, so... First of all, let me address the little hiatus uh, that we had. Uh, we have been working to move platforms here at Vox, uh, which is a technical term to say we are kind of – we're making some moves at uh, SB Nation, Vox, uh, and uh, the podcast went away for a little bit because we were just switching where we were hosted. But the Red Seat is not gone. I've gotten a few people asking me on Twitter if the Red Seat is gone. It is not. It is going to be back and better than ever. Uh, we are also going to be uh, going with a couple different people this year rather than the rotation of Matt and Brian. Uh, as usual, it's going to be Keaton with me and then uh, someone else who I will save and introduce to you next week. 
Um, but we will be with you weekly as the season goes on as part of your uh, your sort of weekly Red Sox fix there. So good things all around. Um, but first, we got to introduce Keaton here. Keaton, tell us a little about yourself uh, and, uh, you know, just introduce yourself to the peeps. Sure. Uh, I uh, got my start over at the Dynasty Guru, uh, where I've been doing their podcast uh, and writing up some comments, doing some articles, doing all that. And that's where uh, you and I got linked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now I'm here to help with you. And uh, if you're ever interested in Dynasty fantasy advice, you can uh, check out all the stuff that I do over there at uh, the Dynasty Guru. Yes, that stuff is useful. Uh, I know I use it for my dynasty leagues, and uh, you know that's how I keep beating Keaton in my leagues. So, uh, <laughs> just use his own advice against him. Uh, it's one so, of those "do as I say, not as I do" situations. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> the advice is great. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, you're not using it. Exactly. Um, so let's go ahead and hop right into the socks stuff. Uh, since the last time we talked, which, geez, I think it was. The last time we had a podcast here was like the 11th of, of March. Uh, a couple big things have happened. Uh, first big thing that we have to talk about, though, is the Chris Sale extension. He signed a five-year, $145 million extension with the Red Sox. Uh, super positive thing there, it seems like. Uh, he's getting opt-out after three years. He's going to be making about $29 million per. Um, and most importantly, the Red Sox get to keep their ace. So, Keats, what was your reaction to this whole thing? I liked it. Um there was, I know there was a lot of people on Twitter that were hesitant to dole out an extension just because of the way he's finished the last two seasons where he's really kind of stumbled over the finish line. But I think there's a lot of similarities between Sale and Kershaw where when they're on the mound, they're the best in the game. You can't find more quality innings elsewhere. So even if he does, uh, you know, have a, a few stints on the disabled list during the year and you get 150, 160 innings out of him, they're going to be the best 160 innings that get pitched in the majors. So you're, I mean, you just can't supplement that. So uh, the hope is that Cora will start to maybe stretch him out a bit here in the beginning. Um, I did hear, uh, I can't remember, I wish I could credit who um, had brought this up, but they, um, someone said that they expected sale to start um, a lot slower, kind of ramp up as the season goes on to not, be throwing 97 to 100 right out of the gate and kind of ramp that up towards the latter end of the season. So that's something to watch as the season starts. And I think that probably makes a lot of sense as well as how Cora handles the pitching staff, which uh, so far everything he's touched is gold. So I'm happy to have him back. I'm happy to have him back long term. Yeah, you know, he tried to do something similar to that last year. I remember being in an April start uh, with him against the Yankees where he was throwing like 89-90 and still getting guys out. So it is something that I know that Chris Sale is cognizant of, um, and I assume the team is trying to do everything that they possibly can to work through it. I think the good news here is that he, he cleared the physical the shoulder seems to have no structural problems. It seems like it was just a little bit of a strain. And uh, we have to give this guy some credit for durability, too. Uh, three out of the last four seasons, he has finished with over 200 innings pitched. So he's uh, he's been mostly a workhorse throughout his career. Last year was really the, the abnormal blip for him. Yeah. Um, so let's get over to uh, some Sandy Leone news here. Um If you've listened to this show, which I'm assuming almost everybody who's with us right now has, 
you have heard me, Matt, and Brian talk about the trio of catchers basically nonstop since last year. Uh, you know I'm Team Swihart, Brian's Team Not Swihart, uh, Matt is Team changes every week because Matt can't make up his mind about who he wants on this team. Uh, but the most recent iteration for Matt was uh, the, the Vasquez-Leon uh, duo. And uh, what we ended up with was Sandy Leon sticking with the team. After all of this stuff, uh, Sandy Leon was optioned, was not claimed due to his high salary of almost $2.5 million, which is apparently high for a backup. Uh, and he has just today accepted... Uh, a demotion down to AAA, which means he gets to keep his money. The Red Sox get to keep the depth there, and uh, he gets to work with the, the young pitchers down there. So that's a, a plus that Evan Drellick pointed out over at uh, Locked On Red Sox, where I do a podcast with Matt. Um, so it's uh, it's good to have the saga finally closed, but I wonder, Keats, do you think that the team made the right move by uh, sending Leon down over uh, Swihart or Vasky? Yeah, it is a difficult uh, kind of side to take there. I've been on, uh, similar to you, I've been on hammering Team Swihart for years now, and he's a guy that's figured out how to hit at every single level. Eventually, when he's been given the at-bats, he's figured it out. So, and had a tremendous spring. Sandy Leone really struggled last season, but it kind of goes into that. Um, it's surprising in the sense that really across the league, the catching landscape has been find someone who can frame, who can block, who can throw guys out, and whatever you get from them at the plate is just gravy. But the Red Sox kind of went away from that because if you know, if you're to take the word of the entire pitching staff, Sandy Leon was their favorite guy to throw to. So it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out at the major league level. But I completely agree with you and Evan that. Uh, selfishly, it's a huge plus for the Red Sox that he did accept the demotion because now he can work with the young pitchers in AAA and start to kind of, you know, gear them up for the majors ahead of schedule. And then you still have him on the roster if, God forbid, Swihart or Vasquez goes down. You have him right there. So it's easy to just kind of pull someone up and then still feel like you're all set at the catcher position. So there's, it's for the player. I think we all feel bad for how it ended up playing out but it was going to end up playing out like this for someone so it just it happened to be sandy yeah and, and looking at that the, the minor league guys that he's going to be working with uh down Pawtucket, um we've got mike schwarin there uh, chandler shepherd uh looking down a little bit more in the bullpen we've got travis lakins bobby pointer marcus walden uh henry mejia these are guys all those guys that i just mentioned guys that could potentially at some point get some time uh, up at the uh, the big league club. So it's not a bad thing to have those guys working there. And then just down at, at Portland, there's a lot of really interesting names. There's Darwinson Hernandez, Denny Reyes, Tanner Houck, uh, Durbin Feltman. So if any of those guys make the jump up to AAA throughout the year, uh, they'll have that ability to work with those guys. So um, it's uh, it's it's an interesting situation, and I think I'm I'm happy about it. But I want to just say here, um, projections hate Blake Swihart. I'm looking at uh, what most of the projection systems have him for, and just no one believes in this bat anymore. I mean, the 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 systems are bumping out 230, 294, 350 uh, as a slash line with uh, weighted runs created of about 70 uh, on average. So it's uh 
he hasn't shown much in the major leagues. We have to say, despite the promise that we did see with the bat when he was coming up as a prospect, we really haven't seen any of that on the field. So um, I guess I'm cautiously optimistic, but if you're asking me what I'm really expecting out of Blake Swihart at this point, not expecting a whole lot. I'm just hoping that he stays healthy, gets some reps, and maybe he can start to reclaim some of that offensive potential that he once held. Certainly no one's expecting him to turn into an all-star at this point. Even though those projections aren't all that great, that's still double the WRC plus you got from Lyon last season. That's a great point. Lyon was just uh, next level horrible with the bat. Yeah. I mean, he was like me with the bat. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Sandy Leon, um, geez, man, 33 WRC plus last year. Yeah, not great. No. Not great, Bob. No, that's, uh, that is astonishing. I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. <laughs> wow. Yeah, given, I mean, for the amount of that bats and run that he had at that level of production, it, it is impressive. Yeah, that is shocking. Okay, well, we're glad to have that behind us, and uh, we'll see how the the duo of catchers does this year. I expect that Vasquez is going to get way more than half the share at catcher. Uh, yeah. I think that he's going to have one of the bigger loads in the major leagues. W- what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that feels right. Um, you also wonder how much of this decision went into the fact that Swihart can play other positions, and keeping that positional flexibility on the major league roster versus trading him or doing something else with Swihart. Um, I wonder if that went factored into what Cora did here at all. Yeah, it's tough to know. Uh, With the roster being set up how it is in the early going, I could see that potentially being a factor with them going with the three-man bench. But looking forward, it's hard to think that they're going to want to play him anywhere but catcher, especially now that they're carrying two guys. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Um, All right. So um, before we get to the season, uh, one of of my favorite things that we do around here at Over the Monster is talk about superlatives. And uh, today, um, Matt released his superlatives article, which kind of combined what all of us here at the site are uh, thinking about for this upcoming season, went over team MVP, uh, best pitcher, defensive wizard, biggest surprise, biggest disappointment, and unsung hero. Uh, we are also going to add a few different superlatives to that as we go through those today. Uh, Keaton and I are both going to give our superlatives, talk about some of our reasoning, and uh, we're also going to bring up your superlatives as the community because the community voted and spoke. Uh, we have such a good, active community at OTM, so it's always awesome to get the input from you guys out there. So let's uh, start it right off with Team MVP. Uh, Keats, who did you go with for Team MVP? I went with J.D. Martinez. Uh, Team MVP feels different than general you know, MVP of a league or something like that uh, because it's more condensed to just the 25 guys that are in the dugout. Um, so that was the reason why I gave the nod to J.D. Martinez over Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts is a more talented player. I don't think anyone's going to dispute that. But with Martinez, you have a guy who can compete for a triple crown uh, as well as help every other hitter in the lineup be better. And that seems like a pretty valuable trait. Not that Mookie Betts can't, but it really seems like 
Jenny Martinez has that down and almost everyone that he helps with their swing ends up improving. And he spends so much time in the cage and looking at film that uh, it's hard to kind of quantify the value that he brings to the lineup. Uh, and so I, I went with Jenny Martinez over Mookie Betts, although I don't think I'm not, you know, I don't think picking Mookie was a bad choice for anybody. Yeah, I was uh, I was surprised that aside from you, I was the only other one that was with you on that logic about JD Martinez. Uh, we had all six of the other people at OTM picked Mookie, and the community went overwhelmingly with Mookie at 52% of the vote. Uh, JD was the second closest with 16%, um, but I followed the exact same logic as you there. I think Betts is the best player on the team by far, but I think that you take JD away from this team and the offense doesn't function the way that it does with him. And when I was talking to Jen McCaffrey on Locked On Red Sox yesterday, uh, Jen was talking all about uh, how much of an effect JD has had on guys like Rafael Devers and and uh, even Mookie Betts. And we know the effect he's had on uh, JBJ and uh, that trickle-down effect. And you know that this guy's going to be a hitting coach someday, right? I mean, it's it's destined to happen once he's done playing. So I just think that uh, he was the single biggest reason why this offense hummed the way that it did in 2018. Yeah, completely agree. So we're on the same page there, Keats. That's a good thing. Let's get down to best pitcher. Who'd you have for best pitcher? Yeah, Chris Sale. That wasn't hard. No. This is the biggest <laughs> no-brainer on this entire list. Every yeah. single person had Chris Sale. I had Chris Sale. Uh Community had Chris Sale at 59%. Uh, Nate Eovaldi came in second with 17% of the votes. I think uh, everybody's still just remembering those playoff heroics. But if you uh, if you picked anyone but Chris Sale here, you're doing it wrong. Yep. Guys is just a freak. Um, looking forward to more of those sale starts this year, and we get one today. So that's awesome. Yeah. Defensive Wizard was more split. Uh, this was a really interesting category. I ended up going with Mookie Betts. Who did you go with, Keats? I went with Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, it's surprising that last year was the first time that he got a gold glove. And it's interesting because uh, when asked about it, he said that it was probably his worst defensive season yet at the majors, which is just <laughs> – if you think about that, the dude's worst defensive year, he still won a gold glove. And beating out – Guys uh, in the AL like Kevin Kiermaier, Mike Trout for that, who played tremendous defense, and it was a down year for him. I mean, he's he's got a, he's got the route ability. He's got the cannon. I mean, there's nothing else that you can ask for with uh, his skill set defensively, except apparently uh, to not have his worst defensive year win a Gold Glove. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a good point. I mean. I was so pumped to see JBJ get that gold glove last year, and it seemed like it, he was destined for that to be the year because yeah. Kiermaier had the injury-shortened campaign and, you know, some of the old older guys that used to be right up for that award, like Lorenzo Cain and uh, Adam Jones and stuff like that, they weren't a factor because Cain wasn't in the league anymore, in the American League, I should say. Um but there were still some competitors, and he definitely won that award kind of going away. And the things that we've seen him do in the field over the last 
four years or so have just been breathtaking. So I was happy he got the award, but I think when it comes down to it, Mookie's the guy who all the metrics love. Like all these defensive metrics, runs saved and UZR, all these things just point to Mookie being just the best defensive uh, right fielder in the history of the Red Sox. And I know some old-timers out there are going to just start yelling Dewey at me right now, but uh, <laughs> as, as good as Dewey was, uh, he didn't move like Mookie. So um, you're, you're looking at the best right fielder in the history of the Red Sox, no questions asked um, there. And uh, we were interestingly pretty split on this as a staff. Uh, Matt, uh, Jake, uh, Kay, and myself uh, all went with Mookie. And you, um, Brian, uh, Michelle, uh, Mike C, oh, no, Mike C went with uh, Xander, and uh, Mike W, I should say, and the community went with Jackie. So Jackie got 69% of the vote, nice. and Xander was the only other player uh, that did get part of the vote there, which is interesting because he is pretty consistent, but uh, certainly not in the league of, of these two as defenders. But I think this speaks to the larger point here, Keaton, is that this is – arguably one of the greatest defensive outfielders of all time outfields in general of all time and um, I think it was Mike Petriello over at MLB.com had an article uh, writing about what it would take uh, for this to be the best outfield of all time not just defensively but just flat out the best by by war and by all these different metrics and at the end of his article he basically spelled out that it would be feasible for it to happen if Jackie took a step forward, Mookie didn't take a step, a huge step backwards, and Benintendi basically remained the same. Uh, so that's the type of outfield that we're looking at for this upcoming season. It's pretty special. Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised Benintendi didn't get a vote uh, at all in this. And I do agree with Mike C. Well, maybe not you know best defensive player, but I think Zander Rogers is an underrated defenseman at shortstop. He plays a pretty decent position there. But Benintendi is another guy, like, it shouldn't take much for this outfield to be the best outfield, like you said, mainly because you're, you have Benintendi. Like, you have the MVP of the league and top two player in the game in Mookie, one of the best center field defensemen for the past, what, five years now? Yeah. And Jackie Bradley and... If he just has an average offensive season, you would think that paired with Ben Benintendi anchoring left field, you're right. It's right there. It's it's not going to take much. Yeah, and, and three guys who would play center field for basically any other team. So Right. It's, yeah, uh, it doesn't hurt to have that. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Uh, let's move on to biggest surprise. This one was a little bit more all over the place. Uh, Keats, tell us who was your biggest big surprise of this upcoming year. Yeah, I picked Blake Swihart, uh, mainly because I kind of touched on it um, earlier, but Swihart is a guy that throughout every level of the minor leagues with consistent at-bats has figured it out at the plate. He's not a terrible defender, so it's not a, a massive step back uh, if you end up giving him more at-bats as the season goes on. But even in the season where they, they moved him to the outfield before he got hurt playing left, he had consistent at bats and he started to put it together. He was almost he was hitting just shy of 300 at the time. Granted, it was like three weeks into the season, but he had the at bats and he was figuring it out. And so, if the the plan now is to give him some sort of consistent at bats, whether it's 
three times a week or two times a week or however it ends up being, I think he's going to figure it out. And I think as the season goes on, he might start to take more and more starts away from Vasquez because his bat uh, may play up. That doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility. But also, like you said, no one's really expecting much from him. So if we can get just an average performance at the plate um, in comparison to the catchers across the league, then Swihart was well worth the investment. Yeah, there's certainly not a whole lot of pressure on him uh, this year. So no. maybe maybe without that other guy breathing down his neck and with uh, a little bit more consistent playing time, he can finally start to make some of that progress. Uh, the guy who I went with uh, is Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, and because um, last year, I'll, I will fully admit it and I will eat crow, uh, I was literally mocking people who were talking about JD hitting the ball hard um and into outs because frankly I thought it was bullshit and frankly I thought I had seen this act from JD uh JBJ I should say um multiple times before we've seen him be basically the most infuriating streaky player uh, that there is we love watching him in the field but man when he's at bat and he's going bad like I literally just want to change the channel um however he did make some real substantial changes in the second half of the season. And I think as time went on last year, he started to chip away at that that disbelief that I had in him actually changing his offensive profile. And the StatCast numbers did back that up. He was hitting the ball way harder than he had before. Uh, he reworked his swing, and he worked with J.D. Martinez's guy uh, in the offseason to rebuild his swing. So, um we saw it in the spring again. He usually has good springs, so I'm, I can't take that uh, as as a plus for him. But I do believe so much so that I have been drafting him in, on all my fantasy teams this year um, that I do believe that a breakout is actually going to come from him. And I think that people, especially the average casual Red Sox fan, are going to be like, whoa, where the hell did this Jackie Bradley Jr. come from? Um, because I think he could run into 30 home runs this year and steal 20 bases um, with a solid OBP. Now, I don't think that he's ever going to be like a 300 hitter, but I think that if he's like a 260 hitter and does that, I mean, that pushes this outfield to a new stratosphere. I was going to say that would make all three of the 2020 guys, and that's absurd. <laughs> yeah. But he has that power, too. He has easy power when he actually connects with the ball, and he's got great plate discipline. Yeah, he does. And to be honest, we talked about Jackie Bradley on um, the Dynasty Guru podcast when we were talking about our outfield rankings. And you actually convinced me because I was in the camp of this is just what he does. He has good springs and then he shits the bed when you get to the regular season. So I just kind of expected it to happen again. But you actually the more that you talked him up, the more and more I started to believe. And in the couple of fantasy drafts that I had since then, I I, I nabbed him at the end. How can I, you I, I must admit. <laughs> yeah, it's. Yeah. It's high risk or low risk, high reward at, at that point. But uh, and this could again go back to having JD Martinez because uh, you know word around uh, the diamond is that they spent some quality time together this off season, and and JD Martinez helped him figure out what he needed to figure out to square that away. So he's a guy that probably a lot of people are going to be watching going into the year, and I, I don't think you're going to be far off. Yeah, they need to uh, make sure they give J.D. Martinez that extension real fast because uh, <laughs> we can't have yeah. the, the de facto hitting coach leaving as well as the uh, 
most most thump in the lineup. So uh, yeah. the the where where everybody else went with their surprises was a little bit interesting, kind of all over the board. Uh, Matt ended up going with Eduardo Nunez, which is an interesting one. He seems to be finally healthy. Uh, Brian went with Dustin Pedroia, who's not healthy. Um, Jake K went with Rafael Devers, another interesting one. Uh, Michelle and Mike C both went with Eduardo Rodriguez, who's really interesting because talking to Jen on the podcast yesterday, um, she was all over him coming in in great shape and him looking like he was extra confident this year. So that's a really interesting one to watch. And then Mike W, the community, and Keaton all went with Blake Swihart with 30%. So um, all over the board there and all guys that you can legitimately find reasons why they could surprise in a positive way. Yeah, absolutely. I'm totally on board with Eduardo Rodriguez making a big splash this year too. Been pounding that drum for for a while now since really kind of like all off season. I'm just I'm excited to see him take a massive step forward. And I think he can. It's about damn time with him. Tools are there. Yeah. Yeah, they are, absolutely. Biggest disappointment might be my favorite category here um, because hilariously uh, Keaton and I ended up with the same thing and the community ended up with the same thing and nobody else uh, on staff thought about this, uh, which is just funny to me. Um, we went with first base platoon and the community went with first base, base platoon at 18%. Um, Keats, we are not high on the the duo of Mitch Moreland and Steve Pierce, and it pains me to say, but like Steve Pierce is basically the reason why the Red Sox won the World Series last year, and he was fantastic, and I love him. However, I just see this as still a weak spot on the team with these two guys manning first base all year, injury concerns, age, all sorts of stuff has me concerned with this duo. Yeah, um, I completely agree. It just feels like we've got all the juice we can squeeze out of, uh, both of those guys. Uh, even though, uh, we didn't, we only had Pierce for a couple months, but he played, uh, all season really above his head. Uh, and thank God that he did because he had himself a tremendous World Series and now has a ring. And, uh, thank you, Steve, for that. Uh, the same with Moreland, too. Uh, Moreland, has been uh he's entering his age 33 season this year in the past two seasons even though uh the power has been all right it's really kind of been underwhelming for his career line so we have an aging mitch moreland who uh you know we're clearly in a platoon too i don't expect either one of these to have an overwhelming share of the at-bats uh and it feels like we got lightning in a bottle with steve pierce it just feels like this position is just set up for a letdown and so that's why i picked it yeah, it's it's really interesting, and I think you're right that it's going to be a real true platoon here. Um, Pierce is about to turn 36 years old. He's on the IL with a calf injury right now. But last year, um, in 52 games and 113 at-bats versus righties, he wasn't bad. He had six home runs. Uh, he had a two sixty-five average. He had a little bit of thump. Um, he was pretty solid, and I think you could make the argument that from a pure baseball standpoint, it actually makes sense to play Steve Pierce far more than you play Mitch Moreland. But what gets Moreland into the games is the fact that he's younger and he's, he plays outstanding defense at the position still. Um, yeah, so 
it's uh, it's 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 interesting. I want Pierce's bat in there as much as possible. If only we could literally combine these two players into one human <laughs> being and make that player reverse age by five years, we'd really be cooking with gas. But uh, I think there are just so many things that could potentially uh, go wrong with this this season, which which leads me to to vote the way that I did. Um, the way that other people on the staff voted, uh, Matt went with Jackie Bradley Jr. Brian went with the bullpen. Jake K, uh, hilariously, and I uh, think both of us agree with this, went with Dave Dombrowski, especially if Brian is correct and the bullpen implodes. That's going to be all yep. on him. Yep. Uh, Michelle went with the catcher tandem. Mike C went with Chris Sale. I guess he's thinking injury there. And Mike W went with Rick Porcello. So another interesting kind of group of, of guys there. Do you want to talk about the Dave Dombrowski thing a little bit? Because we both kind of kind of chuckled at that. Yeah, I, I it was actually a, a close decision for me. I almost went with Dave Dombrowski myself just because of the fact that Craig Kimball's still out there and he's not on the Red Sox, and the Red Sox bullpen is in the shape that it's in. So I, I held off and went with the first base platoon because there's still time for Dave Dombrowski uh, not to be a disappointment with this bullpen, but it it feels like – Disaster is strong, but it doesn't – I don't feel great about the bullpen, and it's squarely on Dombrowski's shoulders. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, and I was kind of getting fired up talking to Evan Drellick about this two days ago on Locked on Red Sox, and um, it just feels irresponsible. And the, the way that we were talking about it is, you know, Evan brought up the point, yeah, maybe the bullpen costs you a game or two in the, the first half. And I'm like – Dude, a game or two can lose you the division against the Yankees in the Rays this year. Like, that matters, and you need to have that bullpen ready for the entire year. So this this whole thing has got me fired up a little bit, and I can't I can't really understand what they're doing here. Um, but they're doing it, and I can't do anything about it. So <laughs> yep. I'm just going to have to complain. Uh, unsung Heroes, our last category. Um, who did you go with, Keats? For unsung hero, I went with Durbin Feltman because I think he's going to be the savior of the bullpen by the time we get to the end of the, end of the season. Uh, and uh, I don't know if we want to go into it now or save it until we get into later, but I have a, a lot more thoughts on Feltman. But I think he can be kind of that lightning in the bottle that the bullpen may end up needing, and he'll be the savior. You know what? Let's just jump right into it because I think that Felt is a really interesting guy and I want to hear from your perspective why you think that he could be sort of that late-year difference maker. Because I think a lot of people aren't talking about him right now. Yeah, uh, a lot of the chatter went to Darwin's and Hernandez, and for good reason. Not to take anything away from Darwin's and Hernandez's spring and his, his skill set. But um, I actually wrote Durbin Feltman up for the uh, Boston Red Sox triple play at the Dynasty Guru, which went up on Tuesday. You should check out that write-up. But um, – there was talk that he could actually go the route of Brandon Finnegan with Kansas City and be drafted and then be playing in the postseason in the World Series that same year. Um, the Red Sox ended up keeping him where he was at because he racked up the most innings he had ever pitched in his career and were even kind of separating out his starts in the minors to give him an extra day's rest. So that made sense that he wasn't called up. But now coming into a fresh year, healthy, 
I mean, he has two 65 grade pitches with his fastball and his slider, which is just unbelievable. And because he went to college, his command is more polished, so he doesn't walk as many batters. His stuff can get, could have gotten major league batters out last season. So I don't see that taking a step back at all. He's going to be ready to get major league hitters out this season. And with the bullpen in the shape that it is, I mean, we may see him in two months be starting to hammer down, you know, the eighth inning for the Red Sox. I don't think he's going to close just because his age and his experience, it's a lot to put on the shoulders of a young kid. But, uh, and surprisingly, the ninth inning, if Matt Barnes is the everyday closer, I don't feel terrible about that. No. But it's getting to him that is going to be an absolute mess. And I don't trust anybody else to do it. So if they're struggling to bridge the starter to Barnes, why not? You'd have nothing to lose, right? Yeah, I, I like that idea. Um, and I agree with you that the bridge is the problem. It's not the late innings. Um, I, I think that there are a couple concerns here with, with Feltman that maybe were more legitimate last year. So last year they were concerned about innings limits for him. And, and I guess he was getting fatigued and wasn't pitching many back-to-backs. And when he did pitch back-to-backs because of the college season that he already had, uh, he looked like he lost a little bit. Um, and then Jen mentioned on the podcast yesterday over at Locked On Red Sox that she was um, noticing that uh, Cora was a little apprehensive. So Cora had actually said, you know, you don't want to rush these guys. You don't want another situation like Craig Hansen, who, you know, some of the listeners out there will probably remember. Um, and I think that there's some merit to that, but I also tend to subscribe more to what a past guest on the show, Ian Kundal, has said about Feltman is that he's major league ready now and he has the bullets and he's got a risky sort of delivery. So the faster you can get this guy to the show and have those bullets be used in a major league bullpen, the better because he could be a little bit of a ticking time bomb with his mechanics. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if we're looking at the bullpen and how it's constructed now on opening day and how they're being used, the bridge really is a problem because the Red Sox last season, their starters averaged 5.4 innings pitched per start. So you're looking at three and a half innings of bullpen work. Is there three to four guys in the bullpen that you trust to protect the one one to two run lead? No. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, that's two, it's a huge problem. Two, two and a half, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's so uh, that's it's, it's dicey. Yep, it's it's going to be hard to watch. <laughs> well, hopefully not too hard. Hopefully we'll have a giant lead, so it won't matter. Yeah. Um, so the guy who I went with is uh, one of my favorite guys, uh, unsung hero, uh, pretty Ricky, Ricky Porcello. Um, I love this guy, and I. Felt so damn bad for him reading that Bradford article uh, yesterday about how uh, he really wants to re-sign with the team. And it's just so clear that the team, knowing that Xander is up and knowing that JD can opt out and that Mookie's going to be up next year and JD's going to be up next uh, – J- JBJ is going to be up the year after, um, they are just not going to spend the money on that man. And it sucks because – He's so damn consistent. And I know that I'm like the weird Porcello aficionado who just loves his style of pitching. And, you know, I can forgive the three or four run starts from him. 
But there's just something about a guy who takes the ball every fifth day, goes out and gives you a professionally pitched game and no nonsense, just does it the right way. And I just love everything about Porcello's game. And uh, I think, you know, this year he could be right in line to have another great season. He won 17 games last year, you know, 22 before. I mean, the guy is good. Um, he's very solid. He keeps you in games. Uh, and I think that he saves the bullpen. So I uh, I love Porcello, and I expect a, another great season out of him, or at least a very solid season. Well, realistically, how, what do you think it's going to take to re-sign him? It's not going to be $20 million a year, that's for sure. <laughs> no, I think it, it's going to be like 15 to $17 million a year. Um, I think for the Sox, if they offered him 15 per, I think he would take it. And I think he would take a shorter deal too. I think if they offered him like two and thirty, he would take that deal. And you know, you just don't know what's going to happen with these other guys. I guess maybe best case scenario for for people like myself who want to keep him around. Um, well, there isn't really any because best case scenario would involve them keeping everybody, and I just don't think that they're planning on doing that because you wouldn't want to keep. Porcello and then have Bogarts go because you decided to 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 spend the money on Porcello. So it's just um I don't know, man. It seems like seems like someone has to go and he's going to be the guy. He's going to be a victim of this de facto cap that we have now with the luxury tax penalties. Well, so that's the thing. So he did say that he would be willing to take a home count discount to stay, but I I know that you love him, but realistically to me, I would say maybe 10 to 12 a year like a okay. 4 and 48 seems realistic I, he gets innings he absolutely gets innings but it's you know 200 innings a year with an over 4 ERA and you know how much can you really put in that that doesn't seem like a guy that I'd be willing to give you know 15 to 17 to but you're right uh, he saves the bullpen and he takes the ball every fifth day you know he's going to be there which is uh, not something you can say for the other four pitchers in the rotation. So he's got that going for him for sure. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, three out of the four years he's been here, he's been over four ERA, um, aside from the Cy Young year. So, yeah, probably the right move. But, man, I'm going to enjoy him this season. Just say that. Yeah. Um, the, the other guys uh, on our site – they went with Matt with Steve Pierce. Good choice there. Brian, David Price, always a good one. Jake D, oh, that's me. Uh, <laughs> Michelle went with Andrew Benintendi. Uh, and then Mike, Mike, and the community all went with Jackie Bradley Jr. So they're uh, apparently uh, on the same page as us with the Jackie Bradley uh, Jr. Uh, breakout here. So I like it. I like that a lot. Yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of positive vibes there for him. Yeah, so it can only help him. Uh, yeah. we, we decided, uh, since Keaton and I are both very interested in prospects, to add a couple more categories to this outside of what everybody else did. So we're going to do both a minor league riser and a minor league faller in the system for this upcoming season. Um, so I guess I'll kick it off here uh, with my minor league riser. I think the guy who we're going to be hearing more and more about this upcoming season uh, is Jaron Duran, who plays outfield and second base. Uh, he's 22 years old, 6'2", 200 pounds. 
uh, had a really great season last year uh, between Lowell and Greenville uh, for the Red Sox. Um, you know, he batted basically over 350 for the entire year with an OPS right around 900 between the two levels. Um, stole bases. Uh, he didn't really hit for power, but, you know, he had some doubles and ran the bases well and uh, basically did everything you want and uh, looked good doing it. So um, I just think that Jaron Duran kind of looks like a player, and I think that he could develop into somebody who is a factor, at least for the bench in the future for the Red Sox and someone who I'm really interested in. And I think he could potentially be an everyday player uh, if everything breaks right for the guy. And he just seems to go about his business the right way. So I'm looking for Jaron Duran to move up even more. Uh, Sox Prospects currently has him ranked as the 16th prospect in the system. I wouldn't be shocked to see him break into the top 10 by the end of the year. Yeah, it's sneaky power, too. Didn't necessarily show up in the home run column, but uh, 67 games put up 14 doubles and 11 triples along with that. Yeah, so that's... that's nice. That's going to develop nicely as he moves along. Who'd you have, Keats? I went with Jay Groom. Grom? How? Which uh, is it? You know what? We've gone between Groom and Grom, so just choose your poison. All right. Yeah, I feel like some consensus on that would be great, but I'd like you have heard it both ways. <laughs> but, yeah, so he's coming off a lost season where he had Tommy John um, after he was drafted in the first round. Uh, by the Red Sox, and you know, even with having Tommy John, uh, MLB.com has his fastball graded out as a 60, curveball as a 65. Uh, his curveball was drawing comparisons when he was drafted as an 18-year-old to Clayton Kershaw and Lucas Giolito, and if, maybe you don't put as much stock in the Giolito comparison now as you would have two years ago when he was drafted, but um, widely considered the best curveball in the entire draft class from uh, two years ago with, you know, middling control, but, you know, he's a high schooler, so you kind of expect that. But um, now healthy, I think he's going to put together a really solid season and kind of put himself back on the map and, uh, you know, pop up and say, hey, guys, remember me? I'm a really good pitcher. So I think uh, past his injury, or hopefully past his injury was, uh, he's going to have uh, himself a solid season. I like that one. I'm hoping that uh, Velo and everything can return to uh, form after the Tommy John surgery. And if he can, uh, I'm with you on his stock rebounding pretty quick. Um, minor league faller. Brian, who'd you go with here? I mean, uh, oh, I just gave away your guy. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> Keaton, who did you go with here? Shocker, it's a Brian. Yeah, I went with Brian Mata. Uh, <laughs> he actually had a pretty decent season uh, last year, putting together 72 innings uh, at high A, 350 ERA, uh, 61 strikeouts, but 58 walks. Ugh. He had as many walks as he had hits given up. That's awful. Yeah. So you can get away with that stuff at high A, uh, but if he's going to make the jump, he's got to reel that in significantly and it seems like he's set up to if he doesn't get that squared away take a massive step back now he's only 19 so he was one of the youngest players in the circuit uh at for salem last season uh so it's kind of expected that there would be a little bit of struggles but there's plenty of time for him to figure it out but he needs to figure it out 
because of how aggressive the Red Sox are being with him and his age, um, his development can get completely screwy if he doesn't rein in those walks. And it just seems like if he doesn't make even kind of small strides within that, then he's in to really kind of shoot down these ranks. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on him. I'm not the highest in the world on him uh, at this point. But like you said, he is 19, so maybe something can change there. But I'm not holding my breath with him. Yeah. Um, the guy who I'm going with is Tanner Houck. And um, the real reason here is just I'm not sure where things are at with him uh, in terms of where his delivery is going to be at and whether he's a starter or a reliever or whatever it is. Um the team messed with his mechanics and messed with a few of his pitches to make him more viable as a starter. Uh, that failed miserably. He was basically just mashed every time he got up there and started throwing. Um, and so he changed things back to a much better result afterwards. But I'm still not sure kind of what pitcher we have with this guy. And the concerns were that he would probably be a back-end bullpen guy um, if he didn't change anything coming right out of college. Um, so I'm still really not sure if this guy has enough to be a starter. And if he is going to be a bullpen piece, well, then I think I need to see him start really performing well uh, against, you know, competition that he's facing right now because he was only in high A uh, at the during last year, and he's 22 years old. So it's not like that's super aggressive for a first-round pick. So I think I just want to see a little bit more from him. Not to say that he's not going to make it to the show or he's going to be a failure, but I just um, I just need to see more positive performance for him. And I think that that's going to be important uh, as he you know moves up into the upper minors to start seeing some actual on-the-field production. Yeah, and it's tough when you have a guy that you're, you're tweaking their delivery with that – much because the more you do it and then you know if you go back to what it was before that really messes with their confidence in themselves and if they keep kind of tweaking what they got going on here with not only his role but his mechanics too uh he it may just kind of eventually get into his head and he's just never going to know what to do yeah yeah i agree um so that about closes out our uh, superlatives part of the show. Um, before we end up getting to listener questions and then ultimately closing out the podcast, I want to get from you, Keaton, a uh, prediction for the Red Sox this year. How far does the team go in 2019? And do they, do they win the division? Yeah, I think that they are going to win the division. Um, I think it is a two-team race between them and the Yankees, which shouldn't be a surprise. I like the Red Sox starting pitching better than the Yankees, although the Yankees' bullpen is significantly better than the Red Sox. Um, but I feel like it's going to come down to those two and probably come down to second half of September, but I think they're going to squeak that out, win the division, uh, and then lose to Houston in the ALCS. Difficult to argue with them uh, losing to Houston because Houston's so good, but I will argue against it. I, I, All right. I think the Red Sox are going to win the division. Uh, I think their starters are just too consistent, too good. Um, and I have real questions about what the Yankees have in their starting rotation at this point with the age and injury concerns with some of those guys. Um, I agree with you that the bullpen's a question, but I think that they'll be very likely to add at the trade deadline to the bullpen if they need to. Um, and I think that the, they've shown that they can get past anybody. The amount of talent on this team is just 
next level. Um, and I think that they will ultimately get back to the World Series. Whether or not they win it or not, uh, I guessed previously twice, no. So I'm going to say that they lose the World Series to the Washington Nationals. I don't know why I believe in Washington this year. But I think they're at least going to get back there. And uh, I'm very confident in the team. Wouldn't be shocked if they ended up pulling off the uh, – the, the repeat here. so And that would be awesome. That would be good for us, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's about time we had something break our way. Yeah, you know us championships starved <laughs> up here in Boston. Uh, let's get to listener questions here. We did get one question today. Uh, it seems like everybody forgot that we existed during our hiatus. Uh, so get back to sending us questions. Uh, Jake asks us to rank the five SPs from best to worst on your expectations this year. Any bold predictions here? Does Ed or Porcello have a number two type season, or does Price and Eovaldi falter? So how do you have these five guys, Keaton? Chris Sale, number one. Yep. David Price, number two. Eduardo Rodriguez, number three. Evaldi, number four. Porcello, number five. I think uh, Eduardo Rodriguez does have a number two type season. I don't think Price uh, falters. I don't know what would be considered faltering for Evaldi based on his track record. Um, but I don't think Price or uh, Porcello is going to have a number two season, I think. And we talked about it. He'll give you 200 innings, ERA over four. He'll probably go deep into those outings, save your bullpen. I think that's kind of what you can expect from Porcello. Uh, Evaldi is a massive question mark, and I'm just probably putting him ahead of Porcello out of hope. Um I don't really, I honestly don't know what to expect uh, out of a full season of Evaldi starting. Yeah, I don't either. Um, and I'm nervous about it. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. I'm going Chris Sale one. I'm going Rick Porcello two. I'm going to go David Price three. Eduardo Rodriguez four. And Nate Evaldi five. And mostly the knock on Nate Evaldi. And Eduardo Rodriguez isn't that I don't think they're going to give you good innings when they're there. I'm just not sure whether or not these guys are going to stay healthy because, like we mentioned before, it's the track record with these guys. I think they're going to give you plenty of good baseball when they're out there. I do expect a good season from Porcello, obviously. Uh, and this isn't to say that I think David Price is going to have a bad year. I just think that he's going to have kind of like an average-ish to good year, like a 3-5 to a 3-8. ERA, um, and that's fine. I just, I just really think that the group behind Sale, these four guys, are really close together in terms of talent and what they give you uh, out there. And I think that that's the true strength of the team. So um, there's just not a lot of separation to me. I could see any of them having the second best season outside of Sale. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I don't have any quibbles with that. All right. Well, that about does the show. So I have one more thing for you, though. Ooh, yes. Um, uh, so a question that I posed to you uh, in the agenda, so just to touch on Darwin's and Hernandez a little bit here, uh, could he be the next Papelbon? Because there's actually a lot of striking similarities to both of their tracks to the majors where they're being brought up as starters. Uh, the assumption is 
at some point, Darwinson is at the major leagues pitching in the bullpen, much like Papelbon was brought up for his first cup of coffee. And then when Papelbon eventually accepted the closer role, it was because the bullpen was trash and they had no other options. So is it possible that Darwinson Hernandez goes the same route where he breaks through this season uh, as a reliever and he's just that good at relieving and the bullpen's that bad that he ends up sticking? Yeah, I mean, I think so. And I think that consensus around uh, scouts is that he seems more like a back-end bullpen guy than he really seems like a mid-rotation starter. Um, the stuff is just so electric. The command can be a little erratic at times. And you could see a guy like that as he gets a little bit older and as he's able to work with the major league pitching coaches and things like that, uh, reining that delivery in and, and sharpening up that command and control a little bit and really harnessing that stuff into a dangerous role. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if Darwin's and Hernandez ends up the next closer of this team and a dominant one at that. So yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. I don't, I don't think it happens this year. Um, but I think that we start to see sort of the makings of that happening this year. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, if you like Darwin's in and you like the show, Make sure you go on to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatevs, subscribe to us, give us a rate and review. We have a bunch of those up already from past seasons. Uh, we appreciate those. So if you haven't done that yet, get out and do it. Give us five stars. Tell us how much you love us. Uh, and, you know, expect some consistency from us now that we're into the baseball season. So we'll be with you every single week. Um, and uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter as well. You can follow... Uh, Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at, at Dev Jake, and you can follow the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. That has been the Red Seat Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we will be with you next week. <laughs>